Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Calvary Live, coming to you from the studios here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, home of Grace FM. Grace FM is just two stations, but we cover 80, 80% of Colorado's population from Cheyenne, Wyoming to the north to Pueblo West, the very edge, barely comes in there to the south, uh, and all the way out to Lyman, and up to the foothills. Uh, It stops at the mountains, and everywhere in between. Up here in Denver, 89.7. Down in the Springs, Colorado Springs, 101.7. Want to welcome everyone. And of course, we want to welcome everyone on the Radio by Grace Network, 73 different signals Georgia, Iowa, Idaho, Missouri, Michigan, Montana, North Carolina, or New Mexico, South Carolina, Washington, Wyoming, Wisconsin, and more and more. Welcome. You're listening to this live. And then we welcome our friends on Hope FM uh, throughout New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Maryland, Truth FM, Tennessee, North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina. Higher Rock Radio, Meridian, Idaho, Living Water Radio, Corpus Christi, Texas, and our newest station is The Way Radio in Kingman, Arizona. Last week, I got my first Kingman, Arizona call, so give us a call if you're listening on any of these stations. The number to dial is 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, and we have a dedicated text line, always open, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for your prayer requests. And use during the show uh, for your uh, questions, if you want, or prayer requests. Sometimes we're able, because we have a a lull in the amount of calls we get, uh, we go to the text line. But you can be sure that all of your text uh, questions that come in are prayed over. Uh, Excuse me, not questions, but prayer requests are prayed over. We send them to our staff. Uh, I have the privilege of doing that, so I get to pray and then send them off. Uh, So... Anyway, lots going on, a lot of uh, stations listening. Welcome over 100 Signals joining us for Calvary Live. And my name is Ed Taylor. I am your host today. You have Jeff Figs in the beginning of the week, Josh Sorensen at the end of the week, and I get the middle of the week, which is a great privilege. And by the way, I don't know if Pastor Jeff has been mentioning uh, his recent series uh, that he's teaching at his church, but he's doing a great job on taking the end times and putting it together in an eight-part study. Uh, So if you're interested in uh, great insights, he has always been a phenomenal Bible teacher, period. You hear him uh, on many of our stations, especially here on Grace FM, but uh, you uh, hear him on Calvary Live, but he also has been one of the most insightful prophetic teachers on prophecy, and doing a great job talking about the rapture, uh, talking about Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, talking about God's will for Israel, uh, and I would encourage you, just Google him, 
Calvary Greeley. That's a city here in Colorado, Greeley, G-R-E-E-L-E-Y. And uh, connect with them. Also, they have a YouTube page. And I, I don't suggest many YouTubers, but good Bible teachers from our family of churches are definitely uh, one of my suggestions. Great studies. I know you'll be blessed. Uh, 303-690-3000. We're going to start right away with our sister in our hometown here in Aurora, Bianca. Welcome to the program. How are you doing, Pastor Ed? I'm doing well today. A little tired, but doing well. (sighs) Why tired? (laughs) That's the question of the day, isn't it? I think I have an idea. I think it's age. Uh, Yeah. Well, I have a prayer request. I've been just feeling really discouraged these past few weeks just because of what's been going on in this world oh, yeah. and things like that. And I'm just at a point in my life where I have a lot of questions and I just wish I could get them answered somehow. And mm. I know one of the pastors I talked to privately earlier said it's that the Lord is just taking me through a time where I'm just learning and and I just have to go through it with Him. And I've been reading the Bible and things like that. Good. I've just been really discouraged. Well, I'd love to pray for you. Lord, I pray for my sister. I know that she has had great seasons of of strength and vitality. She's had great seasons of difficulty and discouragement, and you know she's in one of them right now. <clears throat> so I pray for encouragement. We were talking even about this today, about the comfort that comes from you, Lord, and how we get general comfort, we get specific comfort, and for that we're very grateful. May you be glorified, God, in Bianca's life, Continue to use her. She's such an inspiration to so many who, no matter what her uh, difficulties and disabilities may be, Lord, she walks by faith, obeying you, seeking you, knocking, asking, and surrendering. Bless her, Lord, for that surrendered life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks a lot. Okay, bye-bye. See bye-bye. you tonight. All right, see you tonight. 303-690-3000, wide open lines, taking your calls and your questions. 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000. I see some lights flashing, so do. If you know and are familiar with the program, the lines are open at the beginning of the uh, program. The lines are open at the beginning of the program, and then they fill up over time, and then it's just busy signals because we don't have an unlimited amount of of phone lines. So give me a call right now while they're open. I see two open lines, 303-690-3000. Text me, 720-336-0897. Taking your calls, taking your questions, 303-690-3000. And we are back in Bible study tonight. We had a couple weeks off, one for uh, the baptism. We baptized over 80 people 
a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night. And then we last week we had our Thanksgiving banner service, uh, which are always fun. And, and so we are um, grateful that we get to uh, be on the air and be able to uh, come to you, not only on the air for the show, but also uh, on the program with uh, our Bible studies. So we're on with our Bible studies, we're on with Calvary Live, our live services from our sanctuary, and of course we're going to be meeting here tonight at 7 p.m. I got a little distracted, so that's why I stumbled over my words, just a little distracted, because something just popped up on their, uh, someone put their top five podcasts, and Lead to Serve, which we're going to start producing again in January uh, of 2024, Lead to Serve, which is our podcast here uh, I do uh, on servant leadership, uh, the, the top five, the first one, crime, second one, crime, third one, crime, fourth one, crime, fifth one, Lead to Serve. <laughs> I love it. It says, uh, thanks, Pastor Ed, for balancing me out for two years in a row. And we're like, okay, you're welcome. Um, that's pretty cool. 303-690-3000. Crime, 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 crime. The gospel. Encouragement. What an honor. I can't even believe we get to do what we get to do. Uh, that one person answers, let alone many, is unbelievable. Not even... Not even a, not even, um, but you know, it's just not even believable. It's only the grace of God. And by the way, you guys listening on Hope FM, I just got a note from our producer that Under the Fig Tree is now carried on Hope FM uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So we have Pastor Jeff a couple times here on Grace FM, uh, but now he's on Hope FM. Uh, and Hope FM, you guys know who you are, 21 Signals, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland. You guys are going to be blown away. We have so many great teachers in Colorado. I wish more of them were on the radio. I mean, they're, they're, God is doing something really cool here in Colorado. Not exclusively, of course, but um, just so much the Lord is doing. So good. 303-690-3000. Denver, Natasha, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. Um, so my question is, um, I would like to have some scripture to relate to um, self-love and self-care. A lot of times people in the world, they tell me that um, I care about everybody else, but I don't care about myself or self-love. Now, I do take care of myself. I work out and things like that. But um, in the world, it says that, you know, you need to look out for yourself. You need to make sure you're okay. And in the Bible, it says that you're supposed to exalt God and put others before yourself. So I'm just trying to find out, one, um, is it a myth? Well, not a myth. Is it that's the world saying that's how you do self-care? And is God saying, no, the way you self-care is exalting me and putting others before me, before yourself? That's really a great question because you are already on the pathway to finding the answer uh, because you've distinguished a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you've distinguished the difference between uh, what the world teaches and what the Bible teaches. Now, we're trying to de develop and understand uh, deeply 
which is which, but it's very important, which you've already done, to make that distinction because the world has its own message, even though our world, what I mean by world, I mean this culture, I mean the system of this world, I mean the way the world operates apart from Christ, they have their own way of doing things, their own direction. The problem is, is that they use the same words. It's important, Kevin, can you bring her back on the air? Uh, It's important that we make sure that we're defining the words properly. You ready? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about yeah. it. Self-care. Um, self-care, from primarily from the world's perspective, has a sense of being self-centered uh, and thinking of yourself first. And you already kind of feel the weight of that, that while you do want to take care of yourself and you do want to be uh, available in a greater way to others. You want to take self-care, but you don't want to do so in a selfish way. And it's important that we realize the motives of that. So yeah, you're right. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to eat right. You're going to work out. You're going to rest. You're going to consider yourself. Like, for example, the way that I would share that within our church is, hey, you got to learn how to say no. It's okay to say no, and God can give you wisdom on how to say no, but sometimes believers think that it's a sin to say no to people, but you can't do everything, and you got to understand that. Self-care, if I was using it as a believer, is that, yeah, make sure that you take care of yourself, like be healthy, take care of your temple, um, be strong, you know, eat. Um, you know, it's like, it's like when you—have you been on a plane lately, a, an airplane? Actually, two weeks ago. So, you know, you, we probably don't understand because, I mean, probably don't pay attention because we hear it all the time, but there's always a steward or a stewardess, uh, that uh, cabin steward that comes up and he gives us all the, hey, read this and be careful. And then he does the mask thing, doesn't he? And, and then mm-hmm. when they do the picture of the mask, what do they say? They say, put it on yourself first, then the child yeah. next to you, right? Mm-hmm. That's counterintuitive because our first thought is, no, no, no. We need to take care of that child. But if you don't have it on you, you will be no help for that child. I believe that's a healthy way of looking at self-care, making sure that you are taking care of yourself, that you are um, healthy and strong so that you are in a position to help others. Um, Now, from the perspective of Jesus, like you said, the motive is very clear. The motive is this. Seek first, Jesus said, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And God will give you wisdom, he'll give you direction, he'll give you confirmation, he will open doors, he will close doors. You can live a life abiding in Christ and trust that God will give you the word to help so-and-so or to reach out over here. Sometimes in our marriage, uh, Marie and I are walking by someone and Marie says, you really should help that person. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really sense that's from the Lord. Like, like if you feel it, you should help them. Like God's speaking to you, but he's not speaking to me the same way. And that's hard to say because it's a good thing. It's just not for me in the moment. I didn't feel like the Lord wanted me to do that, but she did. And so I encourage her to do it. Um, so it is important to distinguish 
The world just really says, take care of yourself, 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 and then maybe you can help others. But the Lord is like, take care of yourself by abiding in me, and then help others, help others, help others, help others. I see. Okay. Makes sense. And so what are you struggling with exactly with this? What 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 made you call? What what was the trigger that made you call? Um, I think one trying to find that fine line between going to my savior to help people and being the savior for people. Uh, it is a uh it's a fine line that you sometimes you don't even know you're doing, you know. Um however when it's shown I've asked the Lord to, you know, um, show me my heart. And part of it, I I believe, is pride. Where that pride came from, I think um, some of it comes from my upbringing, and then some of it comes from me doing a lot, not knowing how to say no. Yes. Um, And not feeling guilty about it. just trying to make sure that I depict it, make sure that um, I know where I need to start. Like, I know it's in my heart, but where I need to start is, like you said, by abiding in Christ, and he will be the Savior for those things, not myself. And I think sometimes there's a fine line between that because I'll find myself often frustrated um, as if I'm doing a lot and maybe I don't have to because I'm not abiding it. I'm not going to him in everything. Well, I think there's a couple things I want to help you with. One, the the way you— the way that you phrase that uh, is it makes the, makes the situation in your life very easy. There's no thin line. I want to erase that thin line for you and make it clear. You are no one's savior. No right. one. There's only one savior. I know, it's, I know we know it. This isn't new information. But just hearing it outside of your own head is super important. You are no right. one's savior. You, you can be used by God to help people. You can be used by God to point people in the right direction. I mean, you can use it in a very practical way. You can give without any expectation for it coming back. You can give a meal. You can you can help in a lot of ways as the Lord leads. But there is no thin line about between becoming someone's savior. If you are operating in that way, if I'm operating in that way, uh, I'm wrong. I need to repent. That's the only. It's and you're right. We we grew up with a certain mentality. We were grew up in a certain way, we grew up in a certain culture, we grew up in a certain family, that we learned a lot of bad habits. But that's all they are. They're just bad habits. Yeah. And then I want to read something to you. Can I read something to you? I want you to listen to it and see if it doesn't bring some freedom to you, okay? Okay. Here, it's in John chapter 2 and verse 21. It says, Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead... His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them, because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So I know it's kind of on the spot, and you're hearing someone else read it. But did anything jump out at you on what I just read? The fact that he he's separate from men. And even as a man. Men understand and men comprehend 
is separate from what God can do. Well, remember, Jesus was fully man and fully God. So in operating as a man, like you as a woman and me as a man, as a human being, Jesus mm-hmm. made a choice not to commit himself to them. This is the Savior of the world. I mean, if anyone's going to be a Savior to someone, it's Jesus, right? <laughs> I mean, right. <laughs> he chose in this instance, and many other times, not to commit himself to these men. He, he moved away from them uh, and didn't give them whatever they're demanding or whatever they're wanting. He moved on. He made a conscious choice, led by the Father, to move on. And there are times when you and I have to do the same thing without feeling guilty about it. We have to trust that it was from the Lord. And if we were wrong, God will deal with us. He will deal with us. But most of the time, we're not wrong. We're just moving in the Spirit. And I can't—you I and know, for me, I'm I'm involved in a lot of ministry, a lot of different people, a lot of different expectations, and I, I have to learn to be content with doing what I can do and not being discouraged by doing by not doing what I can't. Okay. Yeah, I, I know that this is definitely gonna be something that I need to practice and apply, yes, but yes. I definitely will be applying it and practicing it. And probably I should meditate on that yes. scripture. John chapter um, two. Yes, until the Holy Spirit uh continues to give me tools for me to get to that point. Um, because it's a it's a little hard when your gift is to care and to give. You have to um I just don't wanna mess up the gift. Of course. You know? However, and, you know you you know there's two sides to that gifting and that is you you're giving and you pride, you know, it would be good for you to sit down with someone to sort this out a little bit deeper than a radio because you're so close. This phone call is like the beginning of massive change for you. You are so close because this sense of giving isn't, uh, you mentioned pride in your life, isn't some necessarily self-satisfaction so I could be known as a giving person. Um, right. that, that's, that's often wrong. It's I'm, I'm a vessel of the Lord and I will give where God leads me to give. I will give no matter what it costs me. I will give, but it won't be for me. And sometimes this, we operate in the giftings, but it's actually just our humanity, which is why it's bringing so much frustration. And then, of course, everybody has an opinion on how we're supposed to live our lives, but nobody's opinion matters but God, sister. He, his right. opinion's more greater than mine, greater than all these people who are giving you advice. He really wants to use you in your generosity. He really wants to use you. I did a Bible study on our app or our website on the gift of giving. You should listen to that because it shows even the danger signs of someone who has the gift of giving. It's such an important gift in the body of Christ. I mean, we all give, but some people are uniquely gifted. And I went through what it looks like, what it looks like in the Bible, and some of the dangers to avoid. That would be a very important Bible study for you to listen to. Okay, now what's the name of that again? Let me write that down. So go to uh, calvaryco.church. Okay. And then let me see. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna do it for you here real quick. I think it's you go to messages up at the top. Mm-hmm. There's like drop down menus up there, and it is loading right now. Let's see here. Okay, so messages, uh, and then view all. So you'll okay. see it, and then in there's a box to search. And so mm-hmm. just put in the word here. I'm going to do it to make sure 
put in the word giving, and boom, it's the first study that pops up. Perfect. Perfect. It'll bless you. Yeah, and um, the thing about pride is not so much um, doing it for myself because I've always served. So yes. that's not so much doing it for myself, but I think where my pride snuck in was where the Lord and the Holy Spirit showed me was um, when it doesn't work. Mm. So, okay. And and that's where I feel like the pride came in. It's like, okay, yeah, you'll do not expecting anything, but what happens when you don't expect anything, but something comes back that you wouldn't expect, or you would think it would be a thank you if anything. Um, That's That's where I feel like that pride has come in because I shouldn't feel that way in my mind. Well, it's all part of the process, isn't it? You're being developed and matured, and it's a really mature way really to see it that way and allow the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. And that's where you're at right now. It's so good. Okay, thank you so much. All right, bless you, sister. Bye-bye. Bye. 303-690-3000 is the number. So good that we uh, get to talk about these things. Let's head over to Texas now. John is in Texas. Welcome to the program. Hey, John. Uh, uh, sorry. Hey, my name is John. <laughs> Hi, John. Um Hope you're doing well. I'm doing this fantastic. Is my first time calling. What can um, I do for you? I just I've, I've had a Bible question for a long time, and I'm and I hope I can put this in a way that makes sense. Um, I heard a definition of the word sin, meaning anything outside the bullseye in an archery term. Sure, that's a great definition. So, okay, um, and I realize there's probably other definitions of sin as well, but. Um, my thought has been that if Christ hit the bullseye for us and made us right with him, as, as um, Romans 8, 1 says, um, then I, I feel like the church, generally speaking, focuses too much on being a sinner versus being a saint in Christ. And so <clears throat> my question, I mean, to kind of put it bluntly, is it feels like technically it's we're not it's not possible to sin if you've accepted Christ. Not that you can't do the behavior that we would call sin. And in my head, I've started calling it misbehaving because I'm not acting like who I am in Christ. So I don't know how to say that without making people really uncomfortable, and I don't want to say it if it's not right. And so I was just going to ask. One one way that Bible teachers and theologians address that is by using a couple of different words to describe it. Uh, one is positionally, what you described in light of the the work of, of Christ in our lives and the forgiveness of our sins is positionally. We are in Christ, therefore Jesus looks at us as if we never sin. And the technical word for that is justification. We have been justified by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, and he has dealt with our e- the eternal weight of sin and the pain and penalty that would come against you and me uh, because of our sin. And when it comes to the question, well, why do, we, why do we keep sinning? Well, because we're still in these frail human bodies fighting a battle against the, against, in, in a world that's in rebellion against God, against the flesh, um, the world, and against the demonic realm. Um, and what you're describing as misbehaving uh, is sin. There's really, we could call it whatever we want, but from God's perspective, we have failed to live in a practical way 
And it's impossible. There's never going to happen. We will never attain to perfection in, in our humanity. So in a practical sense, we have failed to live up to the holy, righteous standard of God, which is perfection. But it doesn't change our standing, our position. Um, our positionally, we... Can I, can I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, can, so I hear what I hear um, a lot of people do with that position, the justification language, is like, uh, and they tie it with progressive sanctification. And my understanding is that the word sanctification means set apart, made holy. So we can't be any more holy than what Christ has given us. And yeah, hold on a second, and I'll come back to you. Uh, because it, it does require a little bit more time. So we're coming up on a break. We'll be right back, and we'll get back to Texas in just a moment. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the second half of today's program. We're so glad that you've chosen to join us today. Uh, We're taking your calls and your questions. I have one open line, 303-690-3000. But to keep some continuity, if you're just joining us, we had a caller on the first half of the program, John from Texas, talking about uh, if Christ has done done all that we need for sin, why do we still sin? So, John, did you want to follow up? With your uh, fo- yeah. with your clarification again, yeah. sure. Thank you. Um, so, and it's not at all that I think that we don't do the behaviors that we all call sin, and that I understand to be, you know, sin without Christ. Um, my real desire is to live as a saint in Christ sure. fully. As well, I know I can't do it perfectly, and no way do I even think that that would be the case. Um, but using the terminology of misbehaving aligns me thinking more correctly, I feel, with who I am in Christ, which has been made right and fit for him. And I'll give you an example at the end of seven where Paul talks about doing the things he doesn't want to do and struggling with that whole thing. And the message version puts this a little bit more, it's either kind of led me down the wrong path or I took it the wrong way or or it is the path I'm talking about. But um, it basically says that, that with, in Romans 8, 1, that the, uh, with the arrival of Jesus, and I'm quoting this, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud, which is what I was describing with sure. this battle with going back and forth that he was talking about at the end of Romans 7. Sure. There's a new pa- yeah. I, I do think, though, before we even get, you know, because I was going to, I'm answering your questions in the segments that you answered them because sure. we can't get the right conclusion unless we have the right ingredients. It's like making a cake. Yeah. If we don't understand how the Bible describes it, then by the time we look to practically mm-hmm. living our life, we're going to make big mistakes. And yes, I would agree with you. The message is not a reliable translation. Uh, it's not even a translation at all. It is a paraphrase. So we, if we're going to make theological decisions for our lives, we got to go to the original Greek first. Then the message can lay, you know, shed light on something in terms of 
living a life apart from condemnation and the complete finished work of Christ. Because Paul would later say, when he's talking about his own life, the same man that's inviting us into a struggle, the same man that finds victory in Christ, and same man that is finding there's no condemnation in Christ in Romans 8.1, is also the same man who later on, just prior to death, while he's in prison, calls himself the chief of sinners. And he uses that yeah. word, uh, sinners, on purpose, harmatia, a version of harmatia, um, that he says, I, I am well aware of my sin in a practical in a practical way, I'm well aware that there is no uh, language barrier or the issue isn't definitions and the issue isn't theology. The issue is me. It's The issue is not even in Christ. The issue is me. So you're right. The When you come from justification and then you get to sanctification, uh, the, the definition of that word in the Greek language is righteousness and holy. It's a set apart for uh, for special use uh, to make holy. And you're right that we can't be more holy than we are positionally in Christ today. But to live it and enjoy it, we now live in the practical realm. And theologians have used the word, and I use it as well, the process of renewing our minds, the process of discipleship, the process of maturity, the process of, of having a, a whole new outlook and living a new life in Christ, being born again, new creations in Christ, all of that, they use the word sanctified to develop, to describe that process where you are now living more and more according to who you are. And that's why I like the last part of your I really like the last part. I just get there differently than you do. That we do, we don't place enough emphasis upon our righteousness in Christ and how we live as saints and how we are new creations. One way I like to describe this, and I know it's controversial, but I, I, I looked at the scriptures this way, and that is when it comes to alcoholism, I do not like a Christian to call themselves an alcoholic. I don't like it at all. It is not consistent with the re- removal of that habit and that fleshly habit. Uh, it's not consistent with being a new creation. Um, you know, I don't like the requirement in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting uh, where they say they make you get up and say your name and declare something that you're not. I'm not recovering the rest of my life. I'm not battling the rest of my life. I'm not an alcoholic. I was an alcoholic, but today I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm sober. Like I've been sober for for me personally. I'm gonna give you my um, my testimony in brief. I've been sober now um, for 32 plus years. When can I start saying I have victory? Like I had victory the second I was born again, and I've lived in victory for 32 years. Um, and I agree with you that a greater emphasis on our identity, as a matter of fact, my latest book that I wrote on being free from your past, which is built upon Romans chapter 8, verse 1, uh, there's a whole chapter in there on about your identity in Christ, because once you know who you are in Christ, man, the, the sky's the limit for your life, and you're learning that. Um, I'm just not a big fan either of redefining things. If I call things misbehaving, then there's no way to repent I mean, if it's really sin, I've got to repent. I've got to acknowledge that before God. I've got to come to Him in humility, and and I have sinned against you, God, against you. Um, and so I, I want to use to the best of my ability in my own walk with the Lord, and as a pastor, I want to teach people to use biblical language, because that's the only one, the way it's going to get you to a biblical solution. 
Okay. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it, and I wasn't offended by it at all. So I hope other people aren't oh, either. Good. I think it's good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to. Um, it's hard to describe um, without. Without. I don't. In no way do I want to minimize them. Sure. I um, believe you. I just really want to maximize everything that my identity in him means, and this terminology has kind of it's helped me. Um, good. So, I don't know if it's just semantics or what, but... It, it um, is just semantics, it, but if you're not careful, you set yourself yeah. on a path, kind of like the alcoholic, right? Kind of like the person that's been delivered. Can you say that? Can you feel that? Can you do it because of it's a, a gathering? Yes. But is it the best thing to do? Probably not. Uh, it's probably not the best thing to do. Uh, and as we're growing, I mean, none of us hit the mark completely perfectly, but as we're, as things are growing and, and as we're growing and things are progressing in our life, we want to grow in that area. And you can talk about your identity in Christ and maximize that while at the same time acknowledging, you know, I wasn't just misbehaving there. I wasn't just inconsistent with my new nature. I consciously chose to to rebel against my God. And God, I'm sorry. Like I'm, I have a godly sorrow over an ungodly act, and you know, the Lord will use it. And He knows your heart, so He's not, He's not. I'm not. He knows who you are. He knows your relationship with Him. Uh, He's not condemning you. I'm not condemning you. Just giving you my point of view for your question. No, I really appreciate it. All right, bro. God bless you, man. Calling in, I really appreciate it. All righty, bye bye. 303-690-3000. 303-690-3000. This is, um, uh, this is uh, super important. You know, th- this is what we just talked about with our friend John in Texas is wrapped around um, a movement in the church that <clears throat> emphasizes grace, which we do. Uh, and I think it's—I was thinking for a second what the name of it was, but— Excuse me. The Exchanged Life type of ministry, or even holiness movements— uh, to some degree, they're really, really good, but they can become, like anything, imbalanced. And there was a guy I was reading for a long time, Steve McVeigh, that I so appreciated his view on on the grace. Uh, somebody had given me one of his books, and it just blessed my heart, encouraged me. It actually still does, but the brother went off the deep end. Uh, he became too extreme, uh, and he now is into the realm of sinless perfectionism. Uh, and I can't support that. That's not the Bible doesn't support that. Um, and he's just gone over even into the realm of universalism um, because it, the the doctrine became man made and not Christ given uh, because grace is glorious. And the idea that someone would see you enjoying grace and accuse you of of being you know lawless uh, that's expected. But to move on uh, into the realm of sinless perfectionism. Uh, which is not what John was talking about, um, but it's important that we recognize that because it's out there, and the Exchange Life Ministries have so many great principles. Uh, you just have to be careful to keep it anchored not in a man's teaching, but keep it anchored by the Word. Even if there's tension, even if there's unexplained things, our, our tendency to want to know everything gets us in trouble or want to explain everything. It gets us in trouble because we don't know everything, and we can't explain everything, um, but we can be tethered to the things that we do understand, 
and trusting that the Lord would give us wisdom on how to live life. So good, good question. Appreciate it. Uh, it helps a lot to talk about these things. I'm going to stay in Texas. Steve is there. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, Steve. You're on the air. Oh, actually, uh, Steve, you're gone. So we have someone new on line one. So you get it, Zachary. Zachary in New Jersey, welcome to the program. Thanks, Pastor Ed. I needed to scroll down. No worries. What's up? I'm here. All right, let's go. My question is, in regards to Chapter 6 with the Bread of Life Discourse, uh, I emailed you a while ago stating that I was Catholic. Uh, I left the Catholic Church, found a Calvary Chapel, uh, in the area, but I'm just just in regards to making sure uh, that it's just literal. It's not literal, but it's figurative. Yes. Um, but just in regards to like the Byzantine Church um, and just their, you know, leaving the, leaving the Catholic Church is hard from leaving the tradition of men, right? Of course. Um, and for me, just listening to Bible study daily, delving into the Word of God daily. Um, part of me misses the the tradition, you know. Of course. And one aspect for me is hard, uh, just like the bread of life, and because that was drilled, you know, like, and that's uh, drilled into my life, and understand I can, I accepted that, um, and then just leaving. Hey, like coming to terms, like that was a figurative, not literal. Um, but well, just like going back real quick. Um, just want to make sure I'm at the right space, you know, like right okay. spot. Well, let's let me clarify. When you say le- the bread of life, leaving the bread of life, what do you mean you are leaving? What are you leaving exactly? What do you miss? I so I miss the the sacred art, uh, the I guess the music, uh, yeah, of course, the communion. So the Catholic Church. Like the communion of saints, but in regards, I have a lot of communion at the church I go to now. Of course, but just like the the connection of, I feel it's universal. You know, the Catholic Church is universal. Now it's more localized for me. Sure. Well, here's what I think uh, God is doing because usually, like like food, like the food that we eat, we have favorite foods. Uh, and we tend to lean toward different foods, most likely because that's what we ate growing up. We were fed something, we developed an appetite for it, and we like it. Um, as a matter of fact, something more silly, but I think it, it's relevant here. Uh, around Thanksgiving, we talk about rhubarb, and, and we're like, ha, ha, ha. I, I personally don't like it. I think everybody knows that. But I put a little survey out. Uh, for those who do like it, Why? And it was an interesting. Uh, it was interesting where I gained a, a greater appreciation, not only because people like the taste and such, but they of the people that answered, uh, the the most predominant reason why is it evoked wonderful memories of their grandmother, and that's why they liked rhubarb. That's why they had it at Thanksgiving. It was attached to a memory. And it was attached to a beloved one, and it was attached to so much nostalgia and just a great time in life, a young, everything about it. And it's just a pie, right? It's just a pie. Um, That's all it is. But that pie was used to connect. 
And I find the same thing within those that have left formal man-made religion that and even why some people delay, it's not a doctrinal um, issue, it's an emotion. Um, it's the mm-hmm. evoking of an emotion or a memory or nostalgia. Um, because most often, like I'm going to do with you right now, the answer theologically and doctrinally is very easy. It's actually easier than all the emotion. Um, it's the same simila- similar in many ways uh, in the, when somebody leaves a cult um, they realize the teaching's off, they realize something's off, but because their family was there, because their parents were there, their grandparents were there, because they're going to lose everything, because they might lose their job and their identity, they, they don't leave the cult. And they'd rather put up with false doctrine than leave, lose their family. And I, it's the same thing that was happening in the first century, where the Hebrew Christians did lose everything, but they were ready to go back to it. Uh, and Paul yeah. writes the whole book of Hebrews going, don't do it, don't do it. You have everything you need in Jesus. Don't go back. Um, so with that in mind, you come to John uh, six forty eight, like you said, uh, and he says that in verse 48, I am the bread of life. And he is using language to describe his identity. And if that's the only verse that we had, uh, in the scriptures, you probably can make some kind of compelling case that he's uh, declaring he's edible in some way. I mean, I don't think you can, but maybe some people can with jumping through hoops and different languages, but we don't. It's not an isolated verse all by itself. He actually gives the context. He tells us that he's using symbolic language uh, when he says in verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So he makes a distinction between literal bread that can be eaten or you know, literal food that can be eaten when he speaks of manna. And he's using not a... He's not just using comparison here in his language, he's also using contrast. That I'm not like the manna uh, that came, that you eat physically, and they all died in the wilderness. I'm talking to you spiritually, he says. That's really what he's saying here. That when you consume me, if you will, when you take me in, when you receive me, when you willingly uh, take of me, this is where spiritual life is. You eat spiritual bread to receive spiritual life. You eat physical bread to receive temporary physical life. That's really what he's, also, he's saying right here in this whole section. Um, but even better, uh, you know, because he continues to explain himself. Um, he later on says in verse 53, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And you go, well, there it is, Ed. He's saying something that you're against what you just... But but I want you to... This is where we, we don't look to tradition. We don't look to some man's teaching. We just pretend we're standing there with Jesus. Just for a moment, you and me. Do you really think he stuck his arm out and told them to take a bite of his body? 
or cut him on this, his wrists and gave blood for everybody to drink? No. We know he didn't do that, and, and I agree with you, but we know he didn't do that because in instituting the memorial meal we common refer to as communion, he takes a piece of bread and he symbolizes his flesh, and he takes the cup of wine and he symbolizes his blood. He doesn't say these elements in any way change back into my flesh somehow now we're cannibals or we're blood-sucking vampires. He's using shocking language by comparison to say the relationship, he gets their attention and he's like, look, the way you abide in me is that you take from me. He, you feast on me. And, and he's using symbolic language that we take the text literally. We take every word of God literally, and this is a literal example of Jesus using similes and contrasts, just like you and I do in our language, to make a point. And it, I know theologians have spent their whole life wrestling with this, and even in some of, you know, between the Western Church and the Eastern Church, and but it's not that complicated. We need to bypass all of them. We don't stop there. We bypass all of them. We go back to the first century. How did they operate? How did they understand? What does it mean in context? Come to that conclusion. Then we move forward and say, well, the Byzantine church believed this. Well, then they were wrong because the Bible is not true. And one of the and Roman Catholicism, Romanism developed, and they believed this. And, and we say, well, the, really Byzantine and Roman church are, are, are the same to, to the most degree. And it's like, yeah, this is what they taught and believed and what many people believed, but they, they left the scriptures because uh, Jesus didn't stick his arm out. He, while he was alive to do that, he was very clearly speaking in figurative language. Yes. And then, Pastor, then in the beginning of John, how can then, if that, I believe like you're saying is true, then how can we worship in spirit and truth? I think that we worship in spirit and truth in a lot of different ways. First of all, that acknowledges that you and I are not merely bodies or souls, but we have a spirit. We have a, a consciousness of our, our relationship with God, that God directly deals with us spirit to spirit. We have a, There is a spiritual dimension to you and me, and when we live our lives uh, in our best— we are uh, men who relate to God spiritually. So there's more than just our head knowledge. There's more than just you and me talking on the phone. We actually can have, like we are, a spiritual conversation. God is using our communication with each other right now, talking about the Scriptures, and everyone else listening in, in the Spirit, we can have a spiritual connection. We can grow and understand Jesus better because we're worshiping him or talking about him or thinking about him or reading the Bible about him in the Spirit. And then with truth, of course, is that you and I, uh, to the best of our abilities, want to live in truth. And Jesus declared that his words are life. He declared that he is the truth uh, and the way and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Um, and, you know, you can unpack that in a lot of different ways, um, but the reality is, is that when you and I were born again, the first thing that became alive was your spirit. Yeah. 
And and just just on the a simplistic form, what although it is nostalgic for you, and although you do miss it, and I, I it's very understandable. This is not unusual what you're going through right now. Um, but on the other hand, I want you to understand too that you left, you purposely walked away from a religion that emphasized your works from birth to death. It required works. It required from uh, your christening, uh, you know, your infant baptism to last rites. And then, you know, if, and then you would never, then you were taught uh, directly and indirectly that you never really know where you're going to end up uh, after you die. It might be purgatory. It might be hell. Uh, you may not have done it right, uh, but maybe you might be able to make it uh, if you followed everything that the church told you to do, all the Hail Marys, all the confessions, all the confirmations, on and on. You left a system of works to enter into a relationship with Jesus. You are a part of the Catholic Church, the the large church, universal church, which is really what Catholic means. It just means universal. But you left Romanism and I think you worshiped the Roman. I think you worship God sincerely. I, I doubt that you were insincere in your desire to please God. The problem is, and it can happen in Protestantism too. It can happen in our church, non-denom. It can happen anywhere. It's just more formalized uh, and and structured. And you get them from birth to death in Romanism. And that's when you left that you came into a place where you can ask these questions, where you can go to the Word, that the answer is not a religious activity. The answer is to, to come to an understanding of what did Jesus really actually teach you, and you can live in that. I mean, it's free. It's freedom. You, you're walking in freedom now. Amen. That's so true. That well, God good. bless you, brother. Thanks. Thank you for calling. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, and there's a great resource out there for those that might be wrestling with this uh, that might help you personally or help you speak to someone uh, that is caught in Roman Catholicism. Um, even you listening right now, where you might even be yelling at the radio, I'm so sincere and you're so wrong, Ed, and you're... Uh, I'm, look, there's no need to get mad at me. Please. Let, let me. There's no need to be frustrated. Don't even yell at the radio. Just take your Bible and open it, and read it. Read it from the lens of you and God. You don't have to worry about what I say or what you've been taught in a room. Just read the Bible. Take the popular things that you believe in, like, and don't try to dismiss them or explain them away, like, like Mariology, the worship of Mary. Well, we don't worship Mary. Again, y- you may not worship Mary, but if you don't worship Mary, you're not practicing Roman Catholicism properly, and therefore you're not even saved by Roman Catholicism standards, because it's very clear that Mary is placed in a high regard. You don't pray to anyone but God, and if you pray to Mary, then you've placed her in a position of God. Just Mary, by her own lips, her own lips says that she is grateful for her Savior, she acknowledged her own sinfulness. And on and on. You can go a variety of different uh, teachings that come, and you don't need to be mad at those that say something for you just to check it out. And, and you would be the better woman and the better man for checking it out, studying to show yourself approved. You would. Even if you come to the same conclusion, I don't agree with you. 
well, it, then it all be sorted out at the bema seat at the great white throne judgment, and I, I'll have to account for my life, and so will you. So here's the resource I want to recommend to you. It's very reasonable and not at all... I mean, it could be offensive if you took it that way, but it's not his intent. It's called Reasoning from the Scriptures with Catholics. Reasoning from the Scriptures with Catholics. And it answers all from a biblical perspective, not even a pastoral slant, just what does the Bible say on the various things that are popular uh, with uh, Roman Catholicism. You can just open your—it's amazing. When my mother-in-law started reading her Bible and she came to a personal—all that zeal, all that everything in her— uh, that she was giving to the church, she started giving to Jesus. It was just, she's such a, an amazing woman in Christ right now. Unbelievable. Reasoning from the Scriptures with Catholics by Ron Rhodes, R-H-O-D-E-S. You can pick it up on our website, calvaryco.store, calvaryco.store, and it'll just help you. And you you want the truth. You want to worship in spirit and truth. It's not an argument with another pastor on the radio. It's not an argument with some non-denominational church. or it, it doesn't even have to be an argument at all. It's you taking what you believe and studying to show yourself approved, a worker that needeth not be ashamed, because you know that there were believers in the book of Acts prior, prior to the systematic... Uh, consolidation of religion under Constantine. You know that. And that's where you want to get back to. So good. What a great show. Thanks for calling today. God bless you guys. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow. Same time, talking about different things, but all about Jesus. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.